Hey friends, welcome to another episode in Season 3 of the Adrian Tan Show. This is my podcast where I speak with folks that are having a great impact on what we call the future of work. But beyond just the enablers and vendors who are transforming this space, I will also be including intimate conversations with people who are navigating their own future of work. They have successfully transitioned and pivoted to new careers and I hope to distill their ups and downs in their unstructured journey so the rest of us can learn from their best practices. My guest today is Saswat Kumar. He's the Senior VP of Global Customer Success and Delivery for Darwin Box. At Darwin Box, he helped accelerate the drive to value realization for large and medium enterprise customers, building the leading HCM provider's reputation as a trusted advisor for its 600 plus customers and accelerate the company's global expansion. Saswat is an engineering graduate from the Delhi College of Engineering and holds an MBA degree in international business from the Indian Institute of Foreign Trade. Saswat is passionate about children's education, economic empowerment, and science and technology-related issues. Hi, Saswat. Thank you for coming on to the show. Hi, Adrian. Thanks for having me over here. Excited about the conversation today. Oh, yeah. Likewise, because I've heard about the interesting situation that you guys have over at Darwin Box. But we'll touch on that later. For a start, could you help the audience to understand a bit about your background? So, Adrian, I will keep this short. But I was someone who never looked at getting into the HR space. Got into HR space by accident. Joined a company which used to be one of the best companies to work then, Hewitt Associates. Stayed there. Hewitt became Aon Hewitt, then Allied was always working in the space of HR transformation, org change, led multiple of those businesses across the region. Having done consulting for so many years, when a light happened, I moved to, I got this opportunity of combining advisory cloud solutions so that outcomes could be enabled for clients because clients are looking for an end outcome and change to happen, not necessarily just a consulting report. Now, continuing that journey, Darwin Box was the best platform to join. And given their focus on Asia and given the focus around clients, I thought it's a place to come and start enabling and accelerating some of those outcomes for our existing clients and for new potential clients. So personally, i known of Darwin Box for some time, maybe close to two years when I started with People Strong. Obviously, these two names are always side by side in many different markets. In fact, loggerheads in many instances. You guys having raised... $72 million in funding at a $1 billion plus valuation really boggles the mind of many, including myself. That happened in January. Could you walk us through how did that all come about? And is this something even occurred to you when you joined them? Adrian, this is a great question. So I took a decision to join Darwin Box around April or so. I took time to exit from my previous employment. Clearly, being an unicorn was not on the horizon, neither that was the focus. But the focus was to always deliver great experience for employees and outcomes for client organizations. And partly, it's also the point in time where we are, the situation in the environment. So the whole COVID thing led to demand for technology. There was a lot of challenges, but that demand accelerated. I will say HR ecosystem in many ways leads the adoption of cloud and SaaS compared to other functions. And HR does not get enough credit for it. So there was demand and we were ready as a firm with a model which could work in a fully digital context where everything is online, you have very little on, uh, offline interface. And we, we demonstrated that success. And we also demonstrated the fact that some of the values we are talking, which is 
experience for employees, outcomes, success for HR and for business is easily transferable. So it was working in Asia. Suddenly, in middle of COVID, we launched it in um, Middle East and it took off and it worked. And from an investor perspective, these are opportunities around which the whole targeted addressable market is super large. And there is a story which works and is scalable. So I will say what we focused on, we executed well. And the faith of customers responding to that consistently at scale helped us achieve their status. Very thankful for the funding partners which we got, which is TCV who came on board with all the existing in old investors investing. So that really demonstrate their confidence in our story going forward. So in, in summary, hopefully this explains some context to your question. And becoming a unicorn, while it's a great milestone, it actually puts the spotlight back on us. And we need to deliver even more with rigor going forward because the journey from here on will be more challenging and tougher. Oh, yes, for sure. But still, it is a good accolade to have and a good tag to add to everybody's LinkedIn. Now, I'd like to take a step back to, of course, understand the evolution of Darwin Box. Obviously, when it first started in day one, as much as there would be aspiration, attaining a unicorn status, getting funding from Salesforce, etc., all that most likely isn't on the vision card of anybody. How has the product evolved so far? And also to my second question, I do understand Many customers outside of India are currently using your solution, SBS Transit, EM Services, Matchmove, etc. Now, these are huge, solid names. Uh, you yeah. mentioned, of course, one of the things that really resonate is you guys walk the talk in terms of what you promise you actually deliver. Are there any other aspects that uh, contributed to your success? Because I do know there are so many different players out there and definitely some of them could also walk the talk. What is the consolidated or the combined key differentiation that helped Darwin Box to stand out? Yeah, and just to put some context to your question, and because this is space so well, a lot of people listening to this will, will maybe need more color. So Darwin Box as a company operates in the enterprise HR technology space, which is, and there also, specifically, we are purely cloud, which is software as a service model. Now, uh, Adrian, going back to the beginning of the journey, having a vision to say, we are building this platform from India for the globe and we want to or aspire to work in the enterprise segment was a bold one. And, and I remember that was the time I used to be an HR transformation consultant for some of the biggest companies in across APAC and Middle East. That was my portfolio. In most of those evaluations, Adrian, I never bothered to invite Darwin Box in because that's the mindset of an enterprise buyer. You are risk averse, you look, look, look for existing incumbents and that's what you tend to work with. So taking this bet that, okay, this is what we'll do was a bold one with the three founders. The second bet was that we, let's try and build something which is consumer grade experience on the enterprise side. I think these two things uh, were the original core differentiators. As the team started, uh, obviously, and I, I did share my own example, enterprise did not reciprocate the love because enterprises, large enterprises will tend to stick to the incumbent partners and so on. Luckily for us in our journey then, India's startup ecosystem was booming, Adrian, and a lot of them were willing to 
pet and partner with other startups. So th those became the first set of clients for Darwin Box. I don't think we even realize how big some of those clients will become and how fast they will grow. And they will also have this extreme demand on pace of it. So they literally forced you to develop a culture of rapid innovation because that's how these organizations are. As these organizations became very large, suddenly everyone, the traditional large enterprises wanted to become like these startups. So today our bank may be keen to work with us because we work with fintechs and they want to imbibe some of that DNA ways of working, speed, agility of that fintech and so on. So I think that became the second hallmark and it was not necessarily by design. That's how we got this opportunity to scale up. Three, four years back, we thought through the future architecture and that was visionary. We got into the whole model of microservices, pure graphical database, the whole deployment of Kubernetes. So what it did was, uh, technically, we could innovate at pace. All these three, four things. And if I go back to my own experience, Adrian, India is the toughest market to sell consulting. So a lot of times when I had resource crunch at a regional global level in, in businesses, I have actually underplayed the whole sales volume in India because that's how you manage the whole scale and the capacity. But when you come to think of a product and ability to challenge the product development, ability to challenge pace of innovation on that, if you build it in an ecosystem like India, you have been tested by fire and you are ready for bigger things. And it's not only about HR tech, a lot of global companies do that. So today, if you think of an Ericsson, they think of all future network deployments. Let's test it in India first. If we can satisfy Indian customers, make money on that, we can make money anywhere in the world. Same happens with GE when they design some of the new healthcare products and so on. So from a product and technology testing perspective, we went through the toughest lab, which was India. And that really got us ready with the vision of enterprise to go out. And I think that's where the last piece of success was. As we thought global, we were not thinking of a company which will be Indian and Indian-led. Lot of, Not only India, a lot of Asian companies make this mistake of, as we go global, can we carry these pieces and try to make it work? We said that we need to have the mindset of local in all the global locations. So if we have to succeed in Indonesia, we need to know the market locally. We need to have a team which is rock solid locally. We need to really drive it locally in that sense. That will give us the knowledge, experience, and also insights to localize faster. So hopefully these four, five pointers will give you an idea of why we succeeded. And for challenge for us will be, how do we retain all these elements, Adrian, as we say grow 5, 10, 15 times in future? Thank you so much for the summary. And I can't help but keep nodding my head as you were narrating the history as well as the situation that you guys come across because it was something that I resonate very well as I was in the same space a couple of years back. And the same kind of challenges, as you mentioned, enterprise companies are very risk-averse. It's always that three names, is success factor, Oracle, or Workday, nothing beyond that. But of course, companies, especially starting from India, were much more open. Maybe because from a price sensitivity point of view or for some other reasons, started to be much more open and that really allowed the whole ecosystem to grow. How do you see this as impacting the rest of the state of HR tech 
across Southeast Asia and across Asia itself? That's a great question. In fact, one of the thinking we, and we do discuss this, Adrian, even inside within the group at Darwin Boxes, hopefully we are changing the mindset of the buyer to trust and buy more local providers. Because if you think of global providers emerged from North America or Europe on back of the scale of organizations there. Now, if you think of Asia, already more than 50% of global Fortune 500 are headquartered out of Asia. If you go back to McKinsey's study 2016-17 and look at top 5,000 companies, already around 43% of those firms are in Asia. US was 24%, Europe was 23% and so on. But are these companies buying or promoting some of the local providers? And I'm not saying they should promote local providers because they are local. They should promote local providers, everything being equal. So if I go back and look at the story of SAP, SAP would not have happened if Siemens would not have supported them. So hopefully our whole story, trajectory and success will allow for many more innovation to happen in Asia and get supported. So for example, what defines employee engagement in Asia needs to be different. What defines DEI, diversity, equality, inclusion, super hot topic. But do we even appreciate the lens of DEI needed to say we are being equitable in the Asian context and so on. So I can have so many more topics which needs an Asian solution and an Asian lens. And as companies successfully do it for organizations in Asia, they will succeed globally. Because Adrian, even for global organizations, if you look at, and this is our own work we used to do with EDB as Aon. Uh, and this is, if I go back even four or five years back, uh, global organizations, 42 or 43 of percent of their employees are in Asia. And that number is growing. So if you solve for Asia, in many ways, you get ready to solve for the globe. I want to also touch on what has happened over the past two years, which specifically will be on COVID-19. Certain for some companies, they see it as a plus, some as a minus. But in general, do you think the situation that we're facing right now has somehow played a part in impacting the situation, in fact, the trajectory of uh, what Darwin Box is looking at? An answer is yes, Adrian. But we need to also look at the larger trajectory and it, it was inevitable. So if you look at data of time being spent online, offline and assume that period and this is well reported from 2000 onwards because by that time internet was set in and so on. Uh, it was really minuscule by 2009-10 we had started spending of our awake hours, total awake hours, something like 10% of time online. And then the expectation was that by 2030 as a population as a whole, we will be spending 30 to 35% of our time online and it could increase further. Now, and, and this was a linear trend of slowly going this way. COVID accelerated that. So the data says that the slope on COVID actually became 3x or 4x. So these two years gave us an acceleration of four, five, seven years from the perspective of online to offline or offline to online habits, whichever way you look at it. And that has fundamental impact in the way we live, way we manage our life and so on. From a work-life perspective, this was an even sharper change because you were suddenly forced to work from home. 
So organizations who said that in our context, it's just about impossible to work. From. Those organizations flipped to work from policies, which they th thought was sacrosanct. They were forced to do that. Suddenly, a lot of organizations realize when they are on cloud, this is easier. And then that led to, I, I will say, a kind of a pause or panic and then acceleration in the whole buying behavior. And because in HR ecosystem, there were providers who have been doing this for long because of historical reasons. We have a best of breed model in HR and we had people, individual modules on cloud for the longest possible time compared to a finance procurement or supply chain. I guess the ecosystem was more ready to benefit from it and that benefited us. I think the benefit of HR tech also merging with work tech uh, is yet to be seen because that's a way bigger opportunity and will also create challenges. So COVID certainly accelerated the client mindset and behavior change and acceptance of cloud in general. And for us, obviously, it accelerated the business. Is work tech something that Winbox will be heading in towards? Yes, in multiple ways. Adrian, what happened was, now, and maybe while I will not talk too much about the features and all, but at a mindset level, we are a company which tries to live by the vision that we have to deliver consumer-grade experience. So as you think of consumer-grade experience, Adrian, you will suddenly start thinking in the Asian context. By the way, many of my employees in client organizations, the workforce is distributed. They are working in locations which is really low bandwidth. So our app, it's not about just having a mobile app. It needs to be really light. And when Gartner rated us, they did talk about it, it being an innovative thing. But the reality is, Adrian, we need to test it for Android 3, Android 4, the oldest version of Android available because smartphone is still an expensive buy given the average income levels across. So that creates a whole host of challenge to say, how do you deliver in this kind of ecosystem and environment and deliver it consistently? So we did WhatsApp, we did VoiceBot, we did a lot of those things, touchless uh, attendance to enable COVID and so on. Now, as you think of work tech, we will have to think of accelerating the whole experience part of employees and look at experience holistically from an employee services perspective, not only HR services. Embedded more deeply into Channels. So channels is the way things will continue to change. So as of, I think last week or yesterday, we went live on Teams. We have had many things and experiments happening with MS Teams. Now we are fully live there in the ecosystem as an integrated app and so on. And why it's important is if you are transacting a lot of your work there, to just do HR stuff, you will not want to go out. So we'll have to start aligning things outside in from an employee perspective and that's where we'll see a lot of convergence between work and HR tech and that's a reality we need to get ready for and we are getting ready for as a firm but is it consistently true across the HR tech ecosystem? No. Many of I will say the larger platforms are still trying to say that can we actually have an equivalent of some of the work tech at our end I think some of it is needed to safeguard the HR tech uh, terrain or uh, space but the reality is HR tech will also have to give up some of the areas so that it integrates better with work tech and reality of work tech is organizations will move to one channel 
organizations will move to one bot. You cannot have a bot at a level of individual applications and so on. And we need to start thinking of that future. Would that actually be the ideal scenario? Of course, it'd be uh, great to have everything centralized in one single space. But that is entirely the same premise when those gigantic enterprise companies, the light of success factor Oracle came about. And they have multiple features within their big gigantic system. But over time, we are seeing companies uh, looking more at individual one-trick pony. And of course, with the ease of SSO seamless integration, you can get the best of breed for each of the category by going back to a single point of success as well as failure. Do, do you think that is really the ideal situation? And Adrian, you put it yourself quite well here. So to your point, you are replacing the SSO with the channel. So going forward, people will interact less through a portal or through a super app. They may actually just in, 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 interact through a a channel which could be Teams, which could be Slack or one of those or could be a pure voice channel in future. Now, behind that voice channel, we need standards in the enterprise segment to allow for best of breed choices to happen. So when we today use an iOS ecosystem or an Android ecosystem, we do get a choice to pick up and select best of variety of apps and API seamlessly make it work. I think the whole evolution of technology and the challenges of integrations is going away. A lot of these channels are opening up APIs very well for this to happen. I guess that's where we are going. Will it happen without pain and very soon? It will take time. I'd like to take a step back to what you mentioned earlier on about the importance of localization. Many companies from India, etc., many different places, uh, see Southeast Asia as one single market. But given my experience, of course, you realize over time that Southeast Asia is actually many different markets. The fact that you guys are way ahead of the competition and getting all the funding and assurance from all your investors definitely means that you have done something. What exactly is the key differentiation that you apply when it comes to localization as well as some of the pitfalls that you may have encountered during your earlier journeys? Great question, Adrian. To be fair, we got hit by the challenges very early in the sense that coming out of, by the time we entered Asia, we already had hundreds of clients. And in many ways, if you look at individual modules, we were thinking these are fully baked. But when you enter into a market like Indonesia, the reality hits you because there are different kinds of regulations. There are different kinds of demands. Some of the benefits are totally unique. That's one. And the second is the language. So while you may sell in English, you may still agree on the customer side that the product will be English. But the whole way of getting adoption, getting success in implementation needs to move to a local language. So the first challenge was a lot of backend expertise without having a bhasha knowledge was literally not very useful. So the local team ramp up and that scale up was a challenge. Some of the local unique challenges was the concept of an abscounding workforce, for example, in a blue collar work system, pretty common in and prevalent in Indonesia. Clients in Indonesia have been asking this from global providers for long and no one actually thought that this is important. Triggered out of Indonesia, we went back and questioned this concept in other markets in Asia. We realized it's, there is a real need. So a lot of blue-collar workers 
may just disappear and is not coming to your work location without information for three, four, five days. You just don't want to exit them, which was the model in past because your software forced you to do that. Versus parking, the, parking them in a model where they are absconding because you want to know the reason. They may actually have a problem at home. They may have something. So you cannot be white and black. You needed a third model or a, a process to park that. So we created that and it, it gets used quite a bit. And in COVID, if you just imagine the past where if you are a blue collar worker and you have not come for four or five days, you have been kind of offload. There was a real need to have a solution like absconding. Let's understand more and then solve for it. Uh, so that's just one example. There were many other examples. The big one, uh, again, in Indonesia was the whole notion of islands, bandwidth, what actually means as a mobile experience in Indonesia is very different from what we'll think in Singapore or what we'll think in many other developed markets. So Indonesia is one, one such example. As we are more recent times, we have been ramping up island. It's another set of examples, local challenges. Again. It looks like very similar. We have big presence in Indonesia, literally grew as a team, as a business 300% last year. As a team, we grew 300, 400%. We have large team. So you will feel it's easy that you can quickly start off Thailand. But reality is when you start Thailand, you again start at zero because you need to build, rebuild some of those same local scale, local capability, understanding of the market. We did that. And hopefully we are set for big success in Thailand. So that's the insight from our side. We continue to look at these markets as local markets, but we also then play a regional up and a global approach. Because what happens is many of our biggest clients, say in Thailand or Indonesia or Philippines, while they have 40-50% of population in that market, they also have talent across Southeast Asia. A lot of them have that talent in North Asia in India or US and other markets. So you need to also support those aspirations. And for many of them, growth might be coming outside of their home market. So we need to solve for their local markets, but then we also need to get them ready for global play. Now, solving for local markets seems like very straightforward and a no-brainer. But having said that, I'm, I do see a lot of reluctance at many different companies in trying to cater to the needs of the local market. I, I personally have my own hypothesis and understanding of why that is so. Perhaps I can hear from you. Why are many companies, of course, not Darwin Boss, but many other companies out there, very reluctant to take in customers' feedback on making those necessary changes? And Adrian, I will just ask for some forgiveness and then I will go ahead and share my opinion because I'm not an expert on the backend tech side of it, but I have a theory here. Because if you really look at it, the SaaS or individual modules on talent side started getting created 2000 onwards. And some of them got rolled up into what became later on large platforms on cloud. Similarly, if you look at the other biggie workday, they started in 2007, 8 and they became big and so on. They led this whole ecosystem. We recently got compared to workday by Josh Bersin. And then we, we accept that with a lot of humility. But given the time when these platforms came on, there is, there, there is a set of choices they made on architecture and the backend. Now, what happens is, as you scale up and create this huge install base, there is this, this constant struggle of 
doing more new things because newer clients or existing clients are asking and versus not rocking the boat for existing installed base of client. And if you marry that with an architecture which might be today considered old, it really creates a challenge which is many times bigger. So that's one theory. The other theory is it's also coming from the markets you serve. So if you think of most other global organizations, for them, the largest markets is North America, then Europe and Asia is third leg. Now, that's how they also prioritize new features and the opportunities from those. And then I will not take names of platforms here, but having worked with them, I have seen those challenges happening with some of the best brands out of Asia. So when I'm talking about brands, these are the brands who are not only best in their industry in Asia, they are globally the best brands. Even those were not able to get some of their requirements deployed because they got listed in a priority. And when you get listed in a priority where you have this whole global pool of US, Europe and Asia, you get listed at a lower level in the whole list of priorities. So maybe they are doing right things for the key anchor markets they are trying to serve and rest of the markets they are trying to then deprioritize. So that's the other way to look at it. So one is a tech architecture lens. The other lens is lens of how, which markets you prioritize and which are the clients under focus and you want to prioritize their, their needs and feature requirements. I guess it goes back to what you said about why WM to begin with, because you guys walk the talk. You guys actually do what you can deliver. Whereas for companies that said, okay, we are coming to this country, we're going to that country. But when it comes to localization, they'll be coming up with all sorts of excuses to try to not make that happen. I guess that all these optics actually says a lot. So before we go, I just want to understand based on where we are today with all the funding and situation that's happening, what else can we look forward to for Darwin Box over the next two years? So a couple of things, and that's where I think this will become an ongoing conversation, Adrian. So uh, now if you look at the larger HR ecosystem, unfortunately, even in consulting space, there is too much focus on here and now. And as a product company trying to serve our clients, the biggest value you can create for clients is to demonstrate outcomes and success for them so that when it comes to the time of renewal, they are keen to renew with you. So that's one. So your, naturally your horizon is longer. Second, if we have an installed base of 650 clients, 1.5 million employees growing fast, how do we track a state of recruitment? How do we track a state of performance? How do we help clients tracking those? What are the new experiments we need to do in recruitment about future on performance on that topic of DEI I was talking about? So we are now very close to setting up a lab in 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 Southeast Asia. The idea of that lab is to get this ecosystem together. So ecosystem of our existing clients, ecosystem of government stakeholder, ecosystem of partners, like for example, assessment company, engagement providers. So it, partners could be many. Even newer startups in HR tech academy to start getting into solving for use cases to accelerate HR outcomes because Adrian, being in HR, you will know that when it comes to, say, transforming the game in HR, the first base is fairly simple and clear. You need to get your discipline around costs right. You need to deliver 
experience with discipline, transactions without pain, you need to deliver 100% compliance, you need to have reports, data insights ready to take action. So that's a box which needs to be accelerated. But beyond that box, the journey of each client is unique. So can we do this experiment and have this canvas of 120, 150, 200 use cases where as a client leader starts thinking of a future and how HR can transform and how HR transformation can help with the larger business transformation. They can come experience and say, okay, these are the five, six use cases most relevant to me. And also this intangible becomes tangible because it also shows you how it will happen because you have demonstrated it in the ecosystem with larger set of partners. And what it does, it obviously makes the whole HR ecosystem come together. It also allows us to start setting standards going forward. So standards around what is the skills taxonomy relevant to our geography, standards around DEI, standards around how do we need to rethink performance if we have to rethink, is there a local view, what that view is. And also because the demographic of organizations are different, demographic of employee population is different. So that's something which is going to be big from our side because we fundamentally feel that will also feed back in and transform us and our platform. Because longer term, our aspiration is not to be just be an Asia platform and compete on that. We want to be an Asia-led platform and compete because we have the best domain which we bring together with the platform. We genuinely understand that we can give a guidance to the future of work. And it's not even future of work, Adrian, because you work and talk in this space. Future of work is now. So how do we establish something which is modern now and modern in future and modern forever? I think that's the whole research, IP build out and thinking we'll start doing in Asia with some massive investments around those. Thank you so much for making time today. I have a great time speaking with you to understand more about Darwin's Box journey as well as your perspective on the HR tech landscape. Before we move on, if people are interested to learn more about you as well as your company, where can they go to? They should go back, go to darwinbox.com, www.darwinbox.com. And uh, if they have any questions for me, just search me on LinkedIn, ping me and happy to answer the answer questions, queries, anything they have about this podcast. Thank you so much for making time today. Thanks, Adrian. Thank you for listening to the podcast. You can refer to the show notes for links to more information about our guests and their businesses. If you enjoyed this podcast, it will be helpful to give a review on iTunes or follow me on Spotify. If you are using Overcast, please hit the star button under the episode. That will help get this episode and podcast out to more people who may find it useful. I'll see you in the next episode of The Agent Hunt Show.